welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Jenny. And today we're talking about dead things and waiting in the wings. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yay. I do really like that episode. Okay, I do. Oh, I'm interested to talk about it. I'm interested to talk about both of these, frankly. I, I am too, They are very... I think I would have liked waiting in the wings more if I hadn't watched dead things first. <laughs> I really kind of... Well, I don't want to get into it. I like both of them, generally speaking, or at least I like many things about both of them, but it definitely, oof, yes, we should talk about it, <laughs> which is why what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. I um, I actually watched Dead Things yesterday and then Waiting in the Wings this morning. Yeah, and I no, that's really what I did too. that they were very thematically linked. And oh, God. I, you're make, I thank you for pointing that out. Cause I not even thematic. Like, oh God. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to jump the gun. I have someone, I clearly have a, a thought to say about this particular topic, but, uh, how well, are you? I'm good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, should we just get into it? Like I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm good, but I'm like, I don't sure. know. Now, now you're making me really want to talk about this. Okay. I know it's so hard to hold it back. Um, also apologies. I can hear my pathetic cat meowing out front of the door. Oh, she had, See, what I think that I'm learning is that uh, she got some new toys this week, which was super cute. My sister sent her new toys, and she really, really likes them, but some of them are little catnip mouses, and she does not hold her catnip well. <laughs> so I it's like when she gets a, she gets really excited to play with this one, and she carries it around in her mouth like it's an actual dead mouse, which is super, super cute, but then she starts meowing a lot. So that's what's going on outside my door. Mm. If you hear it, I'm not sure if the mic will pick it up or not, but... I just, didn't hear as it, always, but... I'm not torturing a cat in the background. There's some reasonable explanation for why there's little pathetic meows. <laughs> Alex is playing kitten uh, poker, kitten, kitten <laughs> poker kitten. in the living room. Just I a game of kitten poker in the other room. <laughs> uh, okay, well, do you want to tell me what happened in Buffy this week? Yes. Okay. Um, let me see if I can remember. So... Um, <laughs> We start out like Spike wants to like define the relationship. So he and Buffy mm-hmm. are like still obviously um, meeting up for sex. But Buffy's starting to feel like maybe this is a reflection of like, you know, the part where he can't hurt her or he can hit her. So his chip doesn't work on her. She's like trying to, I think, assess like what it means that he can't do that and like tie it into this whole idea of like why she keeps going back to him. Mm-hmm. So she goes to Tara and asks her to just kind of look into the spell and um, make sure that Buffy didn't, in fact, come back wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, the trio is back in the forefront this week, and they're, they've got a new Oof. gadget that is going to make them... I don't really know what the intent... Uh, like, what they called it, but basically they, they're going to turn a woman into, like, their sex slave, basically. Right. It's like a mind control thing, I think. Yeah, it's like a magical scientific device, as all of their things are. Yes. Um, And so their intent is to just like... Oh, it only does that. I think it only does that for women. No, exactly. I was thinking they could do more general brain things. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, it's specifically to brainwash a woman into (sighs) being their sex slave. So Warren goes on the hunt for the perfect... Um, target and stumbles across his ex-girlfriend Katrina who we met when he built a robot mm-hmm. um, and so they've since broken up and she obviously isn't happy to see him but he uses this device on her and brings her back to their lair and is they're basically treating her like a slave like she's dressed up in a maid outfit she's calling them master and um, Warren wants to obviously treat her as his sex slave as well um unfortunately she snaps out of this um 
brainwashing and realizes what's going on, tries to escape, and Warren accidentally kills her while she's leaving. Um, so they have to now figure out what to do with the body, and they decide, of course, what should you do but pin it on Buffy because mm-hmm. if they just bury the body and the body gets found, Buffy knows that she's tied to Warren, so they're worried that she'll make the connection. Instead, they try to convince Buffy that she's killed her. Um, so Jonathan summons these demons that create like a temporal shift and confuse Buffy, and when it's all kind of over, she's thinks that she's hit this woman and she's fallen down a ravine and died. And so Buffy decides that she needs to go to the police and turn herself in. Spike is desperately trying to talk her out of it. Dawn is also trying to talk her out of Mm -hmm. it because Dawn has been feeling that Buffy is neglecting her through her new job and also her slaying and also unknown to Dawn, but her sneaking off to have sex with Spike. So Dawn's feeling neglected and thinks that Buffy turning herself herself in is only going to further take Buffy away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, but while Buffy's at the police station, she overhears the body being called in and she hears the name of the victim. And of course, as the trio feared, she does connect her back to Warren and realizes what had happened. So they know now like the trio is truly going after Buffy. And um, also Tara investigates the spell and finds that Buffy is exactly the same as when she left, just slightly molecularly restructured, and that might be what's tripping um, Spike's chip not to work. But Buffy is upset at this, obviously, and confesses to Tara what's been going on and just Mm -hmm. tells her that, you know, she just really feels different and wants to know why. Kind of a heavy episode. (laughs) It was, um, which I'm also interested to talk about. I just, the thing that I needed to get off my chest is what... What this soured me on in the Angel episode, which was not necessarily the Angel episode's flaw or fault, was I just, the sex scene dialogues, I just can't, everything, oh my God. everything that they said, and part of it is also a thing, a thing that I think we'll unpack, we can unpack more specifically about Spike and what the decisions that they've made about him and his character that I do not agree with, but just every word out of his mouth made me, like, just shudder and everything that they said other than their almost sweet interaction in the very very beginning of the episode like that was fine and then it just turns into something creepy and then they just full throttle on the creep on the creep you know on the creep meter the rest of the episode and I just was cringing the whole time and so then I, going into between the, this episode the, and the angel episode exactly. had many times where I was just going like covering into my the ears. angel episode I was like I just we gotta stop we have to stop doing this <laughs> So yes, there I think are more more um, perhaps intellectual um, ties between these two episodes and more thematic ties. But that specifically was the like maybe I would have been more forgiving of the Angel episode if I had not just spent the whole previous night cringing at this one. But like those scenes, I just was not into. Well, them. the Angel one too. I felt like they were really actually calling out the dialogue because like it's that true. Was, like they were when Cordelia and Angel are trying to kind of like relive this time loop that they got trapped in they're they're both very creeped out by the dialogue too so that felt like it was intentional but like i agree with you like everything spike was saying to buffy i was just like stop talking stop stop what is wrong with you oh okay so i guess that said i i don't know how i feel ultimately about not just this episode the last couple or maybe just kind of this mid-season season six stuff i really think I get what they're trying to do and I'm pretty sure they're failing but I'm not 100% sure (laughs) you know like they're definitely trying to deal with darker 
themes, specifically with Buffy. I actually definitely was, I mean, there's no good way to say this. I did. I like the Warren story, the trio storyline in this one. I think it's like, fine, finally, you know, like we finally, this came to a head, all the stuff that's kind of been seething that we've sort of been joking about. And now it becomes explicit in this episode. And I appreciated that. So yeah, it's not, I don't like it. It wasn't fun to watch them, you know, enslave a woman against her will, but I thought that w- worked pretty well for me. The Buffy exploring these like tougher things and being in this really, really awful place for herself is just week after week. It's hard. It's hard. And as we've said many times, watching these, not binging these episodes is making it so much worse. (laughs) I mean, and I mean it in a good way. It's like really making it land. I get why people don't like these ones. You know, it's so much easier to brush aside how awful Spike is in these episodes when you just fly through them. It's like, oh yeah, there's that moment where he's bad, but you can just forget about it because you get through it so quickly. But when you're not binging it, it is a lot. Yeah, Sorry, Spike that was is a lot. really <laughs> not doing anything, like, because he wants to somehow, he's thinking that, like, repeated exposure is going to, like, have Buffy fall in love with him somehow. Like, you see at the beginning of the episode, like, he really wants to define what they're doing. Like, he's saying, what is this to you? Like, you know, Spike is in love with Buffy in his yeah. own twisted way. Buffy, though, as it becomes very clear in her conversation with Tara at the end of this episode, is still spiraling in this, you know, void essentially where she and I th- I really do think it's kind of like this I mean I agree with you it is hard to watch it's not fun to watch but it's kind of a great allegory for something like depression that is neither fun to live through nor yeah, for the fair. people around yeah, you fair. like it's kind of like you know just just stop but like you can't and so I think her like her trying to pin some mystical reasoning onto this is her last ditch effort before she has to acknowledge that like, why do I feel this way? Why can't I feel anything? Why is the only time I feel anything with Spike? And it's heartbreaking, honestly. And, but also it's, I think a really meta commentary on the way that like depression or feeling like the way Buffy feels doesn't just stop because you don't want to feel that way anymore. Like it's, it's, I agree with you, it's uncomfortable, and it doesn't always make for the most exciting TV, but well, like uh, emotionally, it really hit me. So here's my follow-up, then, as I think you may, are making great points, and you're definitely softening me towards this storyline. I think then where ultimately the breakdown still is, and again, I'm not saying I don't like any of this, I just think it doesn't, it doesn't gel the way some earlier themes in Buffy seasons do where they are kind of telling these bigger stories, but also doing these little things. I think why this one doesn't always work for me is because they have to really pretzel these characters into the situations. And sometimes like, like I think the story for them, the writers, you know, creators or whatever, maybe doesn't work as well. If Spike is just being his late season five self, And so they need to make him this even uglier, darker thing than he even really ever was, even in seasons two and three, you know, like he was always a villain who was happy to murder civilians, but like he wasn't so creepy. (laughs) That's the only word that I can come up with. But anyway, I'm just trying to say that I do kind of lecherous. He's so bad in this one. And I just feel like he was never like that for all of his faults. And he has plenty, you know, it's not like they don't, they don't have enough other stuff to draw from, but like specifically, yeah, making him lecherous so that Buffy feels even more sad and pathetic. It just, that is the part where to me, they're having to force characters 
into certain characteristics that they don't really have in order for them to tell this story. And I don't really think that they needed to do that because I think the Buffy stuff alone is strong enough. You know, it doesn't need to be that Spike is so, so awful for her to still feel bad about it. I think they're just trying to heighten things in a way that that's the part where they lose it. If that makes sense. I think them trying to emphasize things so much that they've ruined characters (laughs) or are ruining characters. I agree with you that they're definitely turning Spike into something different to try to make this work the way they want it to. I would also argue, though, that they're slightly, they're definitely not succeeding, but they do seem to be making the argument that Buffy is having her own effect on Spike. But I... Uh, Wait, how so? Like, he's just totally infatuated with her and, like, so Mm. him... but. But so, like, him going after her in the bronze, like, it seems creepy, but it also is, like, because Spike wants more of this connection with her, but also the way that this kind of presents itself is, like, yes, really creepy, but I also think it's really interesting because, yes, Spike was never this person, but he is still, as we keep trying to remind ourselves, he is still a vampire. He still doesn't have a soul. He only has a chip in his head. So, like, where Buffy is clearly using him to fill some kind of need as she's having this emotional collapse, essentially, Spike is not good enough to recognize this and step back and say, you know what, I don't need to enable you to do this or I don't need to be this person to you. Like, this isn't healthy. But, like, Spike is not self-aware or good enough to do that. So it he does become a nice landing pad for all of this. But I agree with you that the show seems to think that in order to make that work, he they has to, to make be him even, even more awful. Whereas yeah. I don't think that he does. I think I, that we can get reminders he that he's a yeah. monster exactly. without like, all of that. But I do think also because Spike tends to be nice to her and helpful and he was a little bit defanged so to yeah. speak in the last <laughs> season yeah that for for Buffy to have such self self-loathing about it like they right I don't think that she would believably have that with the other spike but well again but that's I guess that's exactly what I'm saying though is that ultimately that's why this kind of falls apart because she wouldn't they they aren't awful together if, if we are going off of a few even just a few episodes ago right like they wouldn't be the worst thing in the world I can understand why she would be embarrassed about it But yeah, it's not the mark of self-loathing because he has been an ally and a friend and like a supportive person to her for years at this point. So like, yeah, to try and now worm it into a way in which he doesn't represent that. That's why I, yes, I, I, I think we are mostly in agreement. I'm I'm just saying it one more time that it's like, they really are forcing him into this other role that isn't true to, I don't think is true to him. But it is because this perhaps, yes, this exact story doesn't work. But I do think that there was a was a different way to do this that didn't mean you just ruin all the five seasons of character building for Spike. Well, four seasons, but whatever. Yeah. Um, like even Buffy, like he's asking her, do you trust me? And she says never. And it's like, of course you trust him. You trusted yeah, him you to watch your sister. <laughs> you trusted exactly. him to have your back. Like it doesn't make any sense. It and doesn't. It, that conversation that they have at the beginning is just a normal thing of he's like, oh, I can help you decorate your room or something like yeah. that. Like to then have to twist it. Like they're trying to have it both ways. They want to have this like shippable Spike and right, Buffy where they right. have these sweet conversations and she's lying to him about not trusting him, yeah. obviously, and, and like, think, all this stuff. And then they want to turn him into, like, you know, a predator, like, basically. Like, exactly, because his whole strategy in this episode, and I guess, again, this is the thing that really, I mean, it all grossed me out, but what annoys me is that Spike's strategy seems to be 
it does. They do kind of make it in this episode seem like he knows that she's in a dark place. And if he can just make her dark enough and bring her down enough, then she'll be happy to be with him. So he's always saying these creepy things about don't you love doing this and don't you want to be this other person? But like I first of all, it's obviously a disgusting strategy. But more importantly than that, I think it's um, sorry, my cat just came in the, ha- in the room. <laughs> got me a little distracted. Um, it's he's not he might not have a soul. But he's not an idiot. You know what I mean? It's like, Spike, why would this be the way he's trying to get into Buffy's pants? Where he's had success is by being a more charming, more human-like person. So, like, why all of a sudden this 180 to, like, I know how to get her to love me, act like a complete jerk, (laughs) and really make her feel bad about herself. Like, of all the, again, of all the bad things that Spike has, making Buffy feel bad about herself has never been something that he's enjoyed. He's enjoyed besting her. He's enjoyed defeating her. Maybe even causing well, her pain. I would argue that but not. The, everything that he said to her after the whole Parker thing is kind of in line with trying to make her feel bad about herself. But yeah, they, that was a very that, different spike. It so, was, yeah. So you're yeah. right. It erases like a season of character growth that now, oops, we want to have this thing happen yeah. with Spike, but we've kind of written ourselves into a corner and right. let's uh, just undo everything. And also, it doesn't jibe with the end of the episode where he's desperately trying to stop her from turning herself in and they get in this fight and he's basically just letting her Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like this moment as, of like, growth for Buffy. like a sacrificial effort mm-hmm. and like... Didn't make any it sense. It doesn't tie in with the other... Like it just... They really don't... Agreed. They're not being consistent and it's a confusing experience to watch and it also kind of, I think, undercuts the storyline quite a bit. It does. Um, and I wonder... This is just my passing thought. I do wonder if, would it have been enough? Because what I like about Spike in this episode, (laughs) oh God, that's really not the sentence I mean, but you'll just have to go with me. What I liked about the Spike stuff in this episode, or what I think could have worked, is there is this whole thing where Buffy thinks she's murdered a woman and is really struggling with how she's going to deal with that. And Spike's immediate reaction is, don't worry, I'll just hide the body. And I think that is a good, like, that's a good reminder of who Spike is. He doesn't care about this person. And he's happy to do the dirty work and to, and to not even think twice about it. So I wonder if, like, they could have just gone a little harder with something more like that. You know, like, reminders that he is okay with killing people, reminders that he doesn't really care about people who aren't Buffy or immediately related to her. <laughs> like, I think that was kind of a better reminder of who Spike really is in this moment than turning him into um, make a creep. Yeah, he can just be a little bit less than good and doesn't and then, have to be yeah. truly awful. Yeah, and that actually does work with this specific story. So, anyway. Okay, so that all out of the out of the <laughs> way. I do want to talk about Warren and the trio. And yes. that that whole this whole storyline I I thought it I, was fantastic it's good, you know why? Right? because like you were yeah, like you were saying all of their misogynistic tendencies and urges have been not even under the surface. It's been explicit for us mm-hmm. because we're watching in a 2019 lens. I do right. wonder how explicit it was in, yes. you know, agreed 2003 or whenever this first aired. But, but they make all of it explicit yeah. in this episode. I mean, boy, oh boy, uses yes. the word rape. Yes, like, exactly. And I was God, like, I thank God someone moment. said it yeah. because everything that they've been trying to do the entire time is verging on that. And this is, the, the threshold and I think it is so interesting because Warren and Ann or sorry Jonathan and Andrew are so gung-ho to go along up to this line right but the murder is the thing that Too really them. hits them because but I think what it is is and we could talk about the specifics of it but I do think what really struck me is like 
they know what murder is, but they aren't right. truly aware what rape is. That's because a great the moment point. she yells at them that this They're is rape, and she says it with such conviction she, and God. force. That yes. the look on Jonathan's face yeah. was like he was actually surprised. Like I agree. He wasn't like, I don't care. He literally looked like it had never occurred to him that what they right. were doing was rape because I their totally idea agree. of rape is like dragging a woman down the back alley yeah. and like forcing yourself on her. But like this Not is why a will, so conversations about consent totally, and everything totally. are so important because totally, totally. this is a non consensual and that nonviolent situation that is rape. And that's such and a, that is such a twenty nineteen storyline. Yes. I am thinking of this week's episode of The Bold Type. I don't know if you watched it. I have Which is a, a... Okay, well, it's a much more modern... Um, and not much more modern, but it, it's just kind of another way to be reminded that, like, yes, this is a conversation that we're still having about kind of where those lines are. And even if something isn't rape, how frequent it is that women just get put in situations where they feel so uncomfortable that they don't say no. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just saying... This is still felt perhaps a little bit like, yeah, this was a great episode for 2002. I looked up the year. This is 2002. Um, uh, I'm getting myself lost a little bit, but I just mean to say, I think if this, if, if this particular storyline aired today, it would still feel um, necessary, sadly, and pretty on point. And I think that most, I would say that a little bit, the conversation has evolved to be slightly more nuanced than even this one is, but I still think that it would, this worked so well for me, even in a day today being like, yeah, some guys still don't know some of the very basics and it's a conversation yeah. worth having. And I, and yes. it was so tragic in a way for Warren. I mean, sorry, I keep saying Warren, Jonathan and Andrew, yeah. because it clearly, or maybe even Warren, but like no, not Warren. Never, <laughs> no, I mean, but like especially for Jonathan and Andrew, because because they had never even considered the idea for this that they might be committing a true like crime. Right. That when they do get roped into the murder, and then they feel or they're trying to show this bravado about it of like, oh yeah, we did get away with murder. Like mm-hmm. you know, for them, super villainy was just like money and chicks, but like. Right. This has turned a corner, and we talked about this before with Warren, where he clearly doesn't seem to have the same hang-ups about murder. Um, yeah. But for Jonathan and Andrew to then become accessories to a murder like this and the cover-up and all of that, but also because they've also had this enlightening moment of like being dragged into like a different right. crime too, I, I found it very tragic for them. It is I really mean, tragic for them. good people, but they're... I think they seem more lost than villainous, whereas Warren has turned the corner into full-on villain, so. I agree. And because you kind of brought this up, and this is definitely one of my notes, like, how awesome is Katrina in this episode, though? Like, it's so sad and upsetting what happens to her, but I loved her every reaction from the very beginning, from Warren approaching her to her in the bar, her immediately shutting him down. Like, she is so confident, and, like, she is so sure of herself and who these nitwits are that she never hesitates to say anything. And even this whole time that he has her under this spell, under this charm or whatever it is, science under the science charm. Sure. Um, you know, once she breaks out of it, her immediate reaction is to fight back. And I'm not saying that that's the only appropriate reaction or anything, but she just really, and yes, to your point, like that moment where she says out loud, like, Oh, that's not what this is. This is rape. Like she, the way she delivers it, her that she has the guts to say that to them and that that and that she immediately knows and identifies every like everything about that I just like I really really liked her and I mean yeah so upsetting then what happens to her but like it also really really reminded me of that 
very bad, sorry, try not to curse, that really bad episode of Angel where like almost this exact storyline plays out and everyone just kind of moves along with it at the end. And I was like, what we really needed was for somebody to throw these words out there. And it's like so ugly and upsetting to hear it, but like so necessary. I just, yes. Katrina was the hero. Yeah. She, she was. And you know what I find so interesting about her situation and ironic is that she broke up with Warren because he was trying to do this exact scenario mm-hmm. before, but with a robot. Right, but this right. time he's decided to move on to doing this with a human. And tragically, she becomes the human. But I mean, she recognized even with a robot that was wrong Upsetting. and disgusting. Yeah. But that, you know, that she be- then becomes the human who falls victim to this. I Like Warren's evolution really she gets caught up in that and it's really tragic and like you know I mean even Warren I think for a split second does feel kind of bad like where he tries to say oh she, her neck and you know mm-hmm. Jonathan and Andrew are like uh she's no dead. it wasn't her neck like yeah. he just straight up killed her but like that Katrina like has recognized this tried to remove herself from this situation and mm-hmm. still gets caught up with it it's so tragic it is uh, but yeah she is fantastic yeah um I also, I mean, again, not that we need more reminders of Warren's just, it's not just that he's a villain. He is just, a. it's so hard to describe him by not using words that are a little more inappropriate, Allie. It's hard, but he's just so. I can put the, the <laughs> no, notice no, no, on this fine. episode it's, if you need me to. No, I don't. It's just, uh, it's just hard to really convey how awful he is because like, okay, the other two things of note is that he is sort of playing this like the reason he went after Katrina is because she's his, you know, the one that got away. He regrets what happened and he wants to like rekindle a relationship with her. I, he doesn't ever say that explicitly, but I think it's sort of the like implication. And he, he does say things that sort of allude to like, Oh, isn't she so beautiful? She was so perfect. I never should have let that happen. Um, I'm sort of putting words into his mouth, but I think it is that what it is, what he was kind of going for, but he so quickly, when he brings her back to the house with the trio, he's like, no, 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 she's mine. And, but then he says, he says like, you guys can have her when I'm done with her. So it's like, even in his own fantasy version where he's kind of doing this out of what he thinks love is, he still doesn't care about her at all. He's still, she is such an object for him. It's just a way for him to win this thing that he lost before. And then to assert that he is like great and worthy of love. And then he's like going to throw her to the dogs kind of like, that was so disgusting. And that when she comes to, he is like, Oh, get on your knees. And like, not just get on your knees because getting on your knees is always like a kind of submissive act. But like, that's, I saw where that scene was going. Like that was everything about that was just anyway, kind of this upset. This episode is very upsetting. Um, But yeah, I just mean to say that, like, it's not just that he didn't care about killing her. It's not just that he was making sex slaves out of women. I he specifically, even with the one woman that if ever he had a chance to, like, display real emotion and growth and love, he doesn't even feel those things for her. She's still literally a robot to him. I agree with all of that. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's it was. Yeah, he is. He is vile. He's vile. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. (laughs) A good non curse word. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I do briefly want to talk a bit about the cover-up that they put Buffy yeah, through. Yeah, we should. Um, mostly because it, it doesn't take up a huge part of the episode, but what really did strike me about this episode, and I was also thinking about it um, mm. in the beginning, too, when uh, Jonathan and 
Andrew are bickering and Jonathan like pulls up a bone and Andrew's like, don't you curse me? Like yeah. the, the idea of the trio is really, I think a great example of the people who live in this town and how even outside of, you know, the Scoobies who have the Slayer and a Watcher who kind of know what's going on. But, like, these are everyday people who aren't inducted into any kind of formal acknowledgement of, like, what this town is. Mm-hmm. But that how normal people are even affected by living on a hellmouth and, like, right. pick up a bit of demonic knowledge, like... It, it kind of makes you even wonder, like, is Jonathan kind of a powerful witch? Like, right, I mean, right. <laughs> everything that he's able to do, but, like, his abilities with spells and, like, Warren's or Andrew's conjuring and all of that. Mm-hmm. And, like, just that these normal, not normal, well, maybe yeah. normal guys, how how they get kind of roped into this demonic activity, mystical right. side of town, even without trying. Is, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that but is also because it really came to light with, like, Jonathan's conjuring you know, this demon mm-hmm. or whatever to cover up the spell. But um, I don't know. It just occurred to me that, you know, there are these untold stories of the people of Sunnydale and how they're using magic. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a good point. And I mean, also, the, the way that they cover this up is by lying to Buffy and convincing her that something, you know, it's just very, it's very gaslighting, <laughs> which is another, like, kind of big 2019 framework or maybe I'm just seeing it that way because it's 2019 and I read about that so much but yeah that like they're just gonna convince her that something happened that never happened and then lie to her face about it I mean that in particular encounter never happens but like essentially I feel like that's what's going on here too yeah the encounter doesn't have to happen because it's the staging is so elaborate right oof man I mean that's so villainous too though that I guess is what I'm saying that like this was really definitely a turning point for them. I did find a bit of a flaw in their plan, though, because their their essential worry was that if the body was identified, Buffy would tie her back to Warren. Mm-hmm. But why, if Buffy turned her in for this, would the body still not be identified and, like, that connection still exists? Yeah, but I guess that's a good point. If Buffy's busy taking the fall, then I guess they thought that would get her off their backs. But it, that does feel like a bit of a flaw in their plan. Yeah, that's a good point. Should we talk about Dawn? Yeah. And... Buffy's willingness to go into jail. <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard for me not to feel sympathy for Dawn now. I, she, she's still being bratty, but I think the circumstances now are just like so not in her favor, but like favor her why she's being a brat. Like it's just so obvious that Buffy is never around. I don't know. I mean, it's it's also really really sad. Yeah, I I do feel slightly. On her side, although the bitching about Buffy going to work is like, we see Buffy in her work environment. She's right. not doing that for the for fun, fun of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, Dawn could cut her a little bit of slack, but I think the implication is that Buffy is then not coming home from work right. and like, I think going if, off to spikes. And I think that's the sort of thing that like, yeah, she wouldn't have just said like, you're always at work and you're never here with me. But when you're like mad at someone and then you're just like, well, this, 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 and then that, like, I think it just kind of got thrown in there. I don't feel like she means that. I don't know, man. I... Buffy is is failing so badly in this realm that I get, it's hard for me to see anything other than that. Even if even if Dawn is being kind of petulant about it, I think she has every right to be. I mean, like, she doesn't have anyone else in her life. The one person who's supposed to be there, who she thought she lost forever, comes back and still doesn't ever want to be around her. Like, I don't know how you aren't totally gutted by that as a person. Yeah, and has no visible interest in your life. Yeah. Really. And the only time she comes to talk to you is to tell you, sorry, I'm going to jail. Good luck. <laughs> 
I don't really think this is a flaw in the episode, but I do think it is a flaw in Buffy, <laughs> as many things are this season, that, I mean, even just in the last episode, we saw how quick Buffy is to jump to supernatural explanations for everyday phenomenon, <laughs> phenomena, and I feel like in this particular case, I... I suspect it's just because she's so downtrodden already in this episode that like she doesn't even look for another answer. I think it's clear that like she's experienced this kind of dissociative time lapse before. She knows that the trio exists and that her immediate reaction to having thinking that she's killed someone in really mysterious circumstances is to just accept it. And I, I think especially it grates me because she has Dawn to look after now where it's like, you're not just taking the fall. You take, it's really your responsibility to make sure that this is even what happened before you take your, the, you know, her only guardian away. So I, I don't really think it's a flaw in the episode. I think it is consistent with kind of how they're trying to pose Buffy, but I just think it's worth noting. Like she's got particularly bad logic in this. She's always willing to look for some other explanation, except this one time when it probably really matters. Yeah. Like her, her, I agree with you. It's a bit odd, like her immediate acceptance of like, oh my God, I killed someone and not to question the circumstances at all. When they were really like, mysterious. It's not like Ted where that is no, like pretty clear cut. Like you push a guy down the stairs and then he died. Like this was like so strange. No. And she only is questioning the circumstances after she hears the name. Right. And she's like, oh, I've been framed. And then Anya explains. But like, had she just gone to Anya and talked about her experience, Anya right. probably could have told her, oh, right. this thing happened. And right. Then, yeah, I agree with you. Like, her her willingness to just accept it and go. But, like, maybe in some way, like, that speaks to her emotional state. Exactly. She's like, it well, does, yeah. Okay, fine. I just give up and go I do prison. think. I definitely think that's what they're going for. And I think it mostly is consistent, unlike everything else that we talked about being inconsistent. I do feel... I, I, can, I get it. Um, but, yeah. S- still noteworthy, I guess. I do like that Buffy goes to Tara. Yes, I was just going to say, Tara <laughs> remains the all-star... Tara was so cool too. like her because she's right up there with Katrina in this episode. Like, yeah, I think Tara is the best person that Buffy could tell about what's going on with Spike because Tara is obviously a bit shocked, but she's never judgmental. Mm -hmm. And so she doesn't try to tell Buffy like, oh, my God, she's just like, oh, okay," And then, you know, she handles there when Buffy tried to know and Buffy doesn't understand her accepting reaction and all of that or doesn't you know, think she deserves it. But I was like, oh my God, Tara. I know, Tara. God, Tara's so good. And it's not just that she, what I also really liked about their conversation is it's not just that she's non-judgmental, which I think is really, really impressive. And especially, you know, like it's hard not to, to get wrapped up in those kinds of thoughts, but that not only is she not judgmental, but she is gently like, she's also suggests to Buffy that she's using Spike. And she tries to kind of walk it back when it, when Buffy kind of gets upset about it. But, like, I think she's she's not going to judge Buffy because she understands the situation that she's in and that life is hard and that we're all going to make mistakes. But she is also not going to just say, like, keep doing it. This is great for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's walking that really fine line of not being judgmental but still assessing something and offering kind of, like, constructive not feedback well, exactly, but right. Like something yeah. like that. Like she's not just saying it's fine. Just do whatever you want. Get out of your system. She's like, okay, well I get why you're doing this. And you know, maybe there's some other explanations for that. Like she's just really gently putting, I think helpful ideas into Buffy's head. 
Yeah, I think that's a great a great point because I, I think, you know, like Buffy, the way Buffy frames it is like, why do I let him do these things to me? And Tara very gently is kind of like, well, yeah. you know, you, you, you do seem to be in control of yeah, this. Yeah, like you're, you're participating. <laughs> yeah, and you're using this because you need it, but like it's not, you're not just lying there helplessly and letting him do things. Right, right, right. So. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, Tara. Ugh, A plus. Yeah. I, yeah. I do really think like, I think I said this before, but like Buffy's trying to pin her need for Spike on the spell. Oh yeah, you know, because yeah, it I did makes want to her talk feel about better. that. Yeah. It's like such a great example of. I mean, it's the opposite of what she does with the body, right? It's like her immediately trying to like pick a supernatural right. reason for her, right? Letting this happen, and I like it's just her last ditch effort to be like, oh, this isn't me because I must have come back wrong, and mm-hmm. you know. No, totally. She's just depressed. <laughs> she is really depressed. Yeah, <laughs> that's everything I have. Yeah, I I did want to note there was one moment in the episode where there's like a song that was playing over. Oh, it was so and, weird. Yeah, was that James Marsters singing? Oh, I don't know. It kind of sounded like him, so oh. I was just wondering. I didn't bother. Oh, I hated that. That was another moment. Where I sorry, I I didn't listen because I was actively trying to shut my ears because <laughs> 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 I thought it was a really bad playover. Um, All right, well, why don't you tell us about um, Waiting in the Wings? Okay. (laughs) All right, so on to Angel. So, yeah, Angel gets everybody tickets to the ballet in this episode because the faux Barishnikov ballet or whatever they call it. (laughs) Bolshoi. Oh, Bolshoi. Yeah, sorry, Barishnikov is the dancer, but Bolshoi. Ballet is in L.A., and they're like, you know, the really, the premier Russian ballet, so he thinks this is a great opportunity. He was supposed to get tickets or something else. It's really neither here nor there. Um, But so essentially, he is going to take the whole gang out for a night where they get to get dressed up and, you know, do something sophisticated and just kind of do something nice and different for them. (laughs) Um, But of course, nothing can be that straightforward in any of these kind of supernatural towns. Um, So Angel remarks early on that, oh, yeah, I saw this. uh, They're doing Giselle, and I saw the same ballet company do this back in 1890 when I was a vampire. And he's like, oh man, even though I was, you know, evil, I still cried. It was so good. So, um, he's excited to see this, this ballet again. So when they get there and they all sit down, everybody is in their finest. They've rented tuxes, they've fake bought fancy dresses. Can I just make a, just a, uh-huh. a tiny note there? Yes. Was that the men can rent tuxes and the women have to buy, buy them? Yeah. Buy, fake buy their pre, dresses. Just pre rent the runway days. Yeah. Oh, tough times. Um, yeah. So as they're sitting there watching the ballet, Angel kind of notices, hey, this seems pretty familiar. And turns out it's not just that he's seen the same company do the same ballet before, but that it's literally the same dancers that he saw 100 years ago. Um, or, you know, 100-ish years ago. So during intermission, they start to sort of investigate. He and Cordelia go backstage and try to bribe their way, but eventually just force their way into the dressing room. to just kind of figure out what's going on. Angel quickly decides that it's not vampires. uh, So there must be some other kind of explanation. And when they get back into the dressing rooms, they seem to be transported into a totally different location. It's like endless halls that could no way fit in the building that they're in. Um, so he and Cordelia continue to explore and they end up in, uh, the prima ballerina's dressing room where they are quickly overtaken by some emotions that may or may not be their own. 
Um, much like in I Only Have Eyes for You, they sort of start play acting out someone else's drama because perhaps the emotions were so strong that they kind of left a mark on the room. So as they do that, they get really uncomfortable because they can't keep their hands off of each other and things get pretty inappropriate. Um, but they realize that while they're acting that out, they're getting important clues to what might be going on here. Um, and it seems as though the prima ballerina was having an affair with someone, but the guy who runs the ballet, the company owner, Count Khrushchev, uh, was jealous and so probably did something to punish them. So after uh, Gunn, Fred, and um, Wesley realize they've been gone for a long time, they also go downstairs to try and investigate. And so... You know, lots of fights ensue. The Count we see sitting in a box seat in the ballet clearly is has um, put some magic on the ballerina and the ballet so that she's stuck kind of in an endless time loop doing the same thing over and over and over again because he's a wizard. I didn't say that. Uh, so the gang eventually kind of figures out that, like, if they strain his magics, that he might it'll distract him and he might kind of lose some of his control on the situation. And so that's exactly what they do. Uh, by fighting off the little lackeys that he magical lackeys that he sent, um, and uh, Angel eventually gets up to the prima ballerina and convinces her that if she just can force her way to do something different, that it'll help finish breaking the spell. So she dances a final different number, and it does break the spell, and he's able to break the count's power center, and they're able to move on. Meanwhile, everybody is super horny in this episode for everyone. So Angel and. Cordelia had some simmering romance and that actually comes to fruition because of this weird spell. Meanwhile, Gunn and Wesley are both in love with Fred and uh, it is clear that she's really interested in Gunn and Wesley, in fact, sees them kiss for the first time, which was a real twist in the heart for me, a knife in the heart for me and everyone maybe. Um, And at the very end of the episode, once everything is all clear and Angel and Cordelia are not admitting that they like each other, who should show up but Gru? Yay! Crew. Phew. Okay. Yeah. I forgot that crew came back. <laughs> uh, yeah. So aside from, as I said, the Angel Cordelia stuff, I mean, I just couldn't. I couldn't with it just because it was really grossing me out or something. But other than that, I liked this episode. I don't love, I have critiques as always, but I thought this was fun. So I have two notes in my notes about the dialogue. So I clearly took offense to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had some of this dialogue in this episode, just ugh. And then like, I had a note where, you know, as you mentioned, everybody is kind of romantically pairing up in this episode. Mm -hmm. And I do think that Gunn and Fred are cute, but like something about it kind of felt forced to me. I I kind Um, of agree. Yeah. Whereas Cordelia and Angel, to me, do not feel forced. No. Um, even when they're under the spell, but their dialogue is so disgusting that it, like, yeah. takes you out of it. <laughs> it does. And also, that's part of the problem with Gunn and Fred, is their dialogue, too, is just, like... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And there were moments that I thought were cute. I did think it was cute when, at the end... So, like, they get on all these fights, and Gunn gets, like, sliced or stabbed or something, and Fred is really worried about him. And at, at the end... Um, he's, she says something like, oh, are you, is, does it hurt? And he like says like, no, not at all. Because he's just like, so moony for her. And I thought that was kind of cute, but yeah, otherwise. Yeah. Except they did it right in front of Wesley. I know. I was so heartbroken. God, this, I think, yeah. Is that what happened to me this week? Is it that both of these episodes broke my heart in like really deeply unsettling ways? I just, the Wesley stuff 
I have I'm having some unidentifiable emotions about it. It just really, really guts me. Yes, because Wesley he, really, and also because of the way he then has to immediately take charge and oh God. You know, oh, and so be the sad. leader and like put his feelings aside, Ugh. and then also you know just like suck it tell up. Gun to protect Fred yeah. and like it's just like he's so it's so heartbreaking, and it also I mean like uh, I mean. I think totally informs like his arc in the rest of the season. That's the stuff that I don't remember it that well, other yeah. than a lingering suspicion that things are never really going to quite work out for Wesley. <laughs> I, no. mean, I don't think I can look forward to that moment when he finally gets anything that he's ever wanted really. And I think that's part of why i like, it's just so upsetting to see it happen because now it's just like, I'm watching it in slow motion. Yeah. And like, and I can't do anything cute, to but stop like, it. Yeah. you know, it's also like, you're like, Wesley's been pining for Fred since, you know, Day one. she yeah. first came back from Pylea and, you know, he already got thwarted once because he attacked her under, yeah. you know, spell and then, you know, this. And so I think he's sort of quietly devastated and still has to go on as before. And it just, yeah, it's a knife in the heart, honestly. And you know, actually what I'm now that we're talking about it, I think what maybe doesn't work about the Fred and gun dialogue it's because they are cute together and they have been flirting and flirtatious for many episodes. It's not like this is coming out of nowhere, but I do feel like, like in the beginning of the episode, they're like came from hanging out and eating and they're just kind of having a like banter. And then they try and make gun really like Romantic, And I'm like, well, that's just not really Gunn's style. <laughs> I think that's maybe why it doesn't totally work. It doesn't really feel organic to how they've been interacting this whole time. Like, No, I agree. Like, like him he was fun saying, like, and oh, joking with look her. look at my reward. Like, look yeah. at Fred in this dress. Like, all that, none of that feels like Gunn. Yeah, that's so. just not how he acts. And yeah. when they, yeah, let him be a little more himself, yeah. he's so much more charming and... And also, it would feel more natural. do people really get that dressed up for the ballet? I mean, like, not these days. <laughs> I mean, but I can understand. I mean, it wouldn't be out of place, but no. Yeah. I was also wondering, speaking of romance, what Dennis has been doing with Cordelia. Uh, yes, that was a weird. <laughs> that was weird. That yeah. She's been making out with a ghost or something. Ugh. I don't creepy. think she's been making out yeah, with Yeah, I know. But. I'm just, I can't say it. <laughs> Yeah, there. Um, that dialogue. I know we keep talking about it, but that scene with Cordelia and Angel was explicit. Like, it was explicit, and I was like, "This show aired at nine p.m. on, you know, <sighs> basic cable network." Like, I- yeah. So I guess here's my other gripe, and this is not really a, you know, sometimes I have gripes that are like, "This was a bad episode because of these things that they did," and sometimes I have just personal personal gripes because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. <laughs> Which isn't really the same thing. Um, so this isn't really a critique of the episode, but boy, oh boy, did they do they also toy with our hearts and emotions because it's not just that Gru comes back at the end of this episode to be this like obvious, you know, um, obstacle between Angel and Cordelia finally getting together. That's kind of that's like tried and true television. Oh, right before they get together, something has to happen to drive them apart. And that is annoying to me because I've seen it a lot, but it's fine. I can live with it. But that in the same episode, it's also, they do get together, except none of it counts and they still can't admit to each other. Even the slightest bit of attraction was just like, Oh, it just, Oh, I just wanted, I wanted to squeeze them both. And just, can we just move this story along? (laughs) Stop stalling. I just mean to say it was like double dirty that not only does somebody else come in here at the last minute, but even they do even get together and that whole thing is tainted and doesn't even work. 
Yeah, whereas I think like the the wrench and Wesley's attraction for Fred feels normal organic yeah. in a way yeah. as like it just feels like they're bringing Gruselog back for the exactly like, exactly to just have an obstacle. Although I do think their choice is really interesting because you know we never did really finish the story that's between true. Cordelia and Gruselog. So um, I like that you keep using his formal name and I keep calling him Gru. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I I do think that. Um, it's an interesting choice, and like I forgive them a little bit for that, but there is something about it that just feels like, ugh, one more thing. It's so like, so many strings, you know, so many obvious strings yeah. happening. You can see the gears turning, yeah. and it's, yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so anyway, but otherwise, what, do you, what did you like about this episode? Is it that you love Giselle or that you love ballet? <laughs> I love ballet. I also love Summer Glau. I think she's fantastic, and um, I think... I do like her. This Obviously, was... Just Whedon felt the same because she goes on to star in... Um, Firefly, etc. Firefly, yeah. But This I, was her first TV credit. And the whole ballet story, I think, is fun and interesting and, you know, a blessed relief from the whole Holtz nonsense. Oh, God. Um, I didn't even think about him until you literally just said that. I spent this yeah, whole week it, forgetting about but him. But how nice is that? But it's I also wonderful. think, like, something that we've talked about where we want to see more of is the show focusing on the dynamics between the characters mm-hmm. and that's all that this episode you're right, is about you're, right, you're like, right you get a fun background of the ballet and it's a fun villain and the whole story i think is just entertaining like i love the the minions with the theater masks. oh my god they were so creepy too they were so creepy but it's such a great i think it's like a great fun one-off yeah. villain and yeah. everything about this was just like you know it's not an amazing episode of television but it's a fun just episode of so Angel. much more fun mm-hmm. to watch that i always look forward to this episode of angel yeah you know you're um, totally right i think it's visually fun to watch too everybody's dressed up the ballet is gorgeous well, and, they, and, and it looks like they filmed it on at a you know they filmed it on the on the location so that that really does yeah. add to the episode that it feels so different that they're just finally in a different setting and that it's a really beautiful one yeah but i think so much comes to comes out too like i mean all the interpersonal dynamics between the characters but also like the way they leave lauren behind yeah. and like oh, like lauren. they're kind of excluding him like just treating him as kind of the hired help or whatever yeah. and um you know i think that's done because somebody needs to be at the hotel for Gruselag to, you know, give a misleading entrance with, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody's coming to threaten the baby. But I mean, and also genuinely somebody has to watch the baby. Yeah, but I mean also that this episode isn't focused on the baby. And right. that there's, you know, everybody's out and having a good time. And it's, I think it's funny. I think like Gunn's reaction to the ballet is really funny. Yeah, I think no, Angel's jealousy yeah. of like, oh... I'll go find the count. I bet he has a box. Like, yeah. you know, because Angel was an- annoyed about their nosebleed seats and all of that. Like, it's, I just think it's a nice breather of an episode. Yeah, you're right. So I tried to find some parallels between those. Did you just not, not like this episode? No, no, I, I thought I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit heavy thematically on the heels of dead, dead things. things. And, and, and until you said it, like I said, I didn't even really make the connection that this is also an example of a woman being held captive against her will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, God. Yeah. And I mean, it does feel a little bit like, can we find a different story? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you're right. I was trying to find parallels between Giselle, the plot of Giselle and this episode, and I frankly came up empty handed. I don't really get anything good out of that. I think it's just, just that the Giselle is a classic ballet. Yeah. <laughs> Originally and, from and Russia, maybe. And also the story maybe. of it, yeah. isn't it? Like she's torn between two men. Or I don't something, think there's two. So. There's not two men. She saves a guy from a fate of other dead women. She, oh, she okay. dies in the first act because she dies of a broken heart because <laughs> she falls in love with some prince guy who 
is betrothed to someone else, so he, like, leads her on. And then when she finds out, she dies. And then there's this, there are, like, dead, other dead women like her, like, brokenhearted women that are, like, little ghost spirits, and they find him, they find her, and, like, get her, she's dead in the second act, and then they try and kill the prince or something, and she, like, forgives him, so he is able to live. I mean, I'm not saying it's a terrible story or anything, other than her dying of a broken heart, but... Yeah, do you think that the audience like just thought that was part of the show how the, all the dancers just disappeared <laughs> I don't know <laughs> that's a great point <laughs> I don't know I was thinking about that at the end because they're all clapping at the end and I was like I guess I mean, so like really great yeah effects. I, I guess they just thought it was like an interesting um take on the ballet yeah. I don't know <laughs> well and also Alex pointed this out but like what did they do with the count Angel didn't kill him yeah, he just no, left him know. up there or something. I don't know. I mean, I, I get that they don't need to go through all the nitty gritty details with us, but sometimes it's also like, well, did you just leave him there? <laughs> I kind of thought I he would he... disappear the way that she did, but he was not exactly under the same spell. So I hard to say. I don't think he was under the spell. He was controlling right, the spell. but maybe without his power center, he couldn't maintain whatever magic was yeah. clearly keeping him alive for a century. So I don't know. But they didn't really explain it. They also didn't really explain like. Because she's kind of watching a version of herself dance. Yeah, that was weird, too. How did she replace that person? And then also, like, where did she go? Because she seemed to be more corporeal when Angel was talking to her. So, yeah, that's all very, uh, you know, there's some loop. There's some, like, loopholes in here. But, But, yeah. Or story gaps. But plot holes is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) That's sort of a Um, type of loophole. Yeah. But I I really, like, I, I was just happy to sit down and enjoy an episode. I was actually really mad because I was really looking forward to watching it last night and my internet wasn't really mm. And I was just like, ah, like, <laughs> I want to watch this episode. Um, okay, so next time, what, what have we got on deck? Older got, and far away. Ooh, yeah. I don't remember exactly which one that is. Okay. Oh, okay. I just cheated. Okay, great. And then an episode called Couplet for Angel. Which will clearly Couplet. feature the Gruselog. Because he's there now. All right, now I have to cheat. Couplet I don't know about, but the other one I... Okay. Um, yeah, I, I have no, no knowledge of the angel one, although I suspect, yes, Gruselog and God help us, probably more holds. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Oh, my God. Sorry. Just really quickly before we get up. We, we, you mentioned Lorne, and I just wanted to say that I really liked him in this episode, especially his little lullaby <laughs> where he was just singing about how yeah. sad he was that everybody left him behind. I just really liked that. I thought it was really funny. Also that he's there to, like, read Angel and tell Angel about his feelings. True. For Delia, true, true, but, true. And I love, I do love how everybody, it's kind of the opposite of what Buffy's doing with Spike, how, like, everybody's trying to convince Angel that he should be with Cordelia because right. she has become this, like, amazing woman. Right. And, you know, really changed and all of that. And I was like, yeah, Cordelia is amazing. She is amazing. Like, everyone should be yeah. recognizing that fact. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay, so do you have any pop culture for us this week? I do. Um, I finally hopped on the Killing Eve bandwagon. Oh. And I, I liked it quite a bit. I My friend came over last week, and we started watching it. And I would set my takeaway. I think my friend even told me this before we started watching. I wish I had binged it. I wish I had more binged it than I did. This is not that many episodes. It's like six or eight episodes. And not that you should sit eight hours straight in front of the television, but I just... I with a, like We watched the first one, and it was like, oh, my God, I can't wait. I want to watch the next one. And 
it didn't lose momentum or anything exactly, but it, a little bit. I, it, it works really well on the heels of one another. So I'm just saying, sometimes you watch things and you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't binged that. But this one was the opposite. I wish I had watched it in two or three chunks instead of like one. I, I, it took me a, a second to get through it. Um, but I did, I did like it. There was one that, again, I've like, this week has been a big week of me feeling just like really, really uh, deeply grossed out by things. And it's really good at not being that graphic, but a lot of people die. I, the, the premise vaguely is that um, Sandra Oh plays this like British investigator who believes there's a female serial killer killing important people around the world. And of course there is, and that's Eve. Um, and she is a super deadly assassin. <laughs> so she, she murders a lot of people. A lot of people die. Uh, but only one episode really, really squicked me out. But, um, anyway, but I did like it. I think it's very, very interesting. Um, yeah, I haven't started the, it's just started the second season. I think I'm going to wait until they, per my earlier comment, I think I'm going to wait for it all to be out and then try and go through it quickly. Yeah. I've heard good things about it. Um, it's just, I don't think I need another show. Yeah. Okay. Well, what have you got? Um, I have nothing today, although... Um, this week I think is going to be big for pop culture. Like obviously tonight is the big battle episode of Game of Thrones oh. uh, as we're recording. And then obviously I'm going to go see Avengers. Oh yeah. At some point this week as well. I haven't seen that yet, but, um, so maybe I'll have some more to talk about next week. <laughs> I'm really behind on both of those. So you're behind on Avengers. Yeah. I haven't seen. Oh, you mean like you didn't see the last one? I've only, Yeah. I haven't seen anything since Black Panther, and I've missed a lot of stuff in between there. I just don't keep up. I don't keep up. Yeah. I'm not sure how much you really need to know all of that to, like, watch the movie, but you definitely, if you haven't seen the first Avengers of this two-parter, then, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not going to make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I am excited to see how it all, like, you know, this is the phase, the 10-year phase of the Marvel, like, <laughs> MCU coming to an end. It's interesting. I'm curious to see how they, how they stick the landing. Um, I saw I both mean, Brie Larson and what's her face? Black Widow. My God. Scarlett Johansson wear jewelry that uh, evoked the gauntlet on the red carpet. And I thought that was fun. Yes. Yes. That was <laughs> a plus way, way to dress yourself when you have to do a million yeah. red carpet things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I don't really have anything yeah. today to talk about. Okay. Um, okay. So what team are you on? Ugh, team Katrina. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Way to go. Yeah. There's no competition. Well, Tara, but... No, but I mean, even then, like, I think yeah. Katrina edges her out. Okay. Yeah, because Tara didn't have to stand up to the trio. That's so. true. That's true. I mean, Katrina died, but, you know. Yeah. Team Katrina, Team only Katrina. chance. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, I'll talk to you next time about um, those other two episodes that you mentioned that yeah. I've already forgotten. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. Commentary.com.